Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond and the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio from Stoneville. Tom is with me and we have Dr. Travis Foskey on the phone with us again. Travis, good to hear from you, man. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's it's always good to talk to Travis. There's not so many card-carrying nematologists out there anymore, so it's nice to have one on speed dial. And it's also nice to have one that you can actually have a conversation with. That's <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. That's the best comment I got all day. I'll tell you all, of course, I'm not a plant pathologist, but this is the second time we've had Travis on, and we had Trey Price on, Tom, three or so. Did we do four episodes with I, Trey. I, think, I know we did three. We yeah. might have done four. And so I've really enjoyed getting to know y'all. I didn't know Trey prior to that, and I didn't know Travis uh, prior to the first conversation that we had with him. So I think y'all got a good group, and I know y'all work together pretty closely. And I've, of course, been in the field with Tom and and know how he works the field and, and really puts a lot of energy into it. So I think y'all got a good thing going. I mean, I know – People don't like getting patted on the back so much, but I'm proud of what y'all got going on. I think you're doing a good job. Well, not be the first person to admit the last couple of weeks I've sat and just lamented about talking to some other colleagues in some other states. You know, how do we keep the plant pathology thing going? I think it's it's hard. We're not training an overabundance of students. We're losing some faculty through retirements. People are leaving the university, and that's a I, I think we should be encouraged somehow or other, but we need to, it's good that we're keeping a good group of folks together in the Mid-South because I had some moments there before Trey got on board and before Travis got to Arkansas that I was a little scared that, huh, I might be the only plant pathologist in the greater Delta if I'm not careful. So it's been nice to add some folks on that we get along and can discuss things across state lines because I think that's important to stick together right now. Well, and I think we've all, are experiencing what you just described, Tom, to some degree. We've had several positions open over the past year or so in different, you know, agronomy, weed science, different things. So I think we're all dealing with that to some degree, and hopefully we can get all those wrapped up and filled and proceed on cranking out some good information. So, Travis, the first time we had you on, I asked you about your favorite movie, or your favorite action movie, I'm sorry, I misspoke. So I'm going to stay in that same kind of ballpark. What was your favorite TV show growing up? Well, that's a toss-up, but uh, it was either, I'll, I'll say it was the A-team. <laughs> Solid choice. Yeah, I like that. They, they had some good comedy, and uh, I always like that they could fix up anything out of nothing. It was, uh, that was always fun. A-team was good. You know, that whole... Little time period there, A Team, Dukes of Hazard, Knight Rider, Airwolf, Incredible yeah. Hulk, Airwolf, <laughs> uh, yeah. and there was another one with very the, good, albeit unrealistic. The of course, ju- not, not, not as as if Knight Rider was all that realistic. The judge who lived in the mansion that had the guy with the red car, and now the name of that television. Oh, Magnum PI, not Magnum PI, oh, not Magnum yeah. PI. It was yeah. the other one with the guy with the red car, and I don't remember what it was called. Oh Lord, I don't have any something idea. Something to McCormick. It'll come to me. Uh, hard Castle so and Hard McCormick. Castle and McCormick. <laughs> McCormick. That's See? What it was. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, what are you going with? I mean, toss-up's fine. I mean, we're not... I, I'd say no, probably... No awards here, so... I, I'd say Airwolf, 
MacGyver. I mean, those are those are good hardy. Oh, I forget about MacGyver. Good hardy yeah. television shows. The reboot of MacGyver, I don't think is as good. The original was just much more stellar. Of course, you can't get away from the whole mullet at that point in time. <laughs> I'm probably going to go with Magnum. Well, uh, I, mean, I don't yeah. If my dad liked it, we'd watch Magnum PI together. So that was oh, pretty cool. My dad liked all the cop shows, which there was an abundance of Hill Street Blues. Hill Street Blues. That's what I was going to yeah, mention. Absolutely. Dennis Farina is just what an actor. Well, we could have an entire discussion with Seinfeld, right, Tom? Oh, my Lord. It, yeah, we didn't even touch comedies. It, so. it doesn't get much better than Seinfeld. Everybody has a no, Seinfeld moment. And it's re- it's lost on the people that haven't watched Seinfeld. A- Angus had texted the other day and said, I had a Seinfeld moment this morning when nobody in the audience knew what I was talking about. And I said, well, you might want to let them know that Seinfeld's now on Netflix. They should get a subscription. Start somewhere towards yeah. the end of the seasons and then work back towards the beginning. They'll make more sense <laughs> if you watch them out of order. Yeah, the, the later ones were a lot better, in my opinion. When Travis was on with us before, y'all talked about all things nematode sampling, when to take them, how to take them, how to store them, where to send them, everything related to that. So, Tom, what did you have in mind that y'all needed to follow up with uh, after sampling? Well, I think we really needed to discuss basic management principles behind managing nematodes and what to really make a decision on or base that on moving forward in, in both, I think cotton and soybean are the two that we probably end up with the bulk of the questions in. And I know we have Travis on because Travis does a tremendous effort in Arkansas to look at uh, soybean resistance and or sensitivity to the root knot nematode over there, because we do end up with a lot of questions in both of our states about that. And then of course, you know, we both do a lot of, a lot of cotton work managing cotton nematodes, both root knot and reniform, depending on where we are. So I think we really would base this particular episode uh, on managing nematodes in general. Stupid question from a weed scientist. Is cotton kind of the gold standard for nematode problems, or is it just the one that has gotten the most attention over the years? I mean, do we have e- as equal equally severe problems in any of our other commodities? Yeah, I, you know, I would say, well... I would say cotton, we've known about the nematode issues longer. So 125 years ago, a scientist named Atkinson actually, you know, identified root galls and root knot issues on cotton in, in, in Alabama. So we've known about it. We've known its, its issues. Fast forward to current times, you know, we have a little more resistance and, and some resistances saying that, that that nematode cannot reproduce on that host as well as a susceptible crop. And, and tolerance is, is something where you're still susceptible, but you're producing yield. And so I think we have some of these tolerant crops now, uh, especially in cotton. So we don't we don't see maybe the in, impact that Atkinson did, but switch over to a different crop, soybeans. Uh, you know, there's not as much tolerance in those. And uh, I've walked out to some fields and the beans have just melted down. So Yes, I, I think we do, and especially in the soybeans, the maturity group fours, due to the lack of resistance and the lack of tolerance, there's a, those can be pretty dramatic. And, and I've seen some very dramatic yield differences in, in some of my plots, um, 70, 80, 90%. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I think it's there. I think, we're, I think we're gaining ground in both of them. It's just 
uh, it's taking time like everything else, but, uh, the, the nematodes are not going away. They're actually probably more common, or at least I think more people are aware about them now than they were, you know, 20 years ago. But, um, we have a few more tools in the toolbox, but still some of the same challenges that we had before. And I, I think that's part of the, today's idea, right? Tom, we're going to talk about some of those options, some of those, uh, some of those tools that we have. Uh, I'm not sure what direction you want to going to go with this. Is there anything specific you want to talk about first? Definitely what I was going to ask is I think we should cover some of those basic those basic options, some of the tools. I mean, I remember Terry Kirkpatrick talking about that. He had the, the cheesy picture of a super old toolbox in there on one of his PowerPoint slides that he put up there and talk about tools in the toolbox. And uh, I, I love the foreshadowing in that type of situation because there's definitely a lot of things to talk about. But, you know, Travis, walk, walk us through just some basic seed treatment principles and how effective those may be. And we'll, we'll stick with cotton for the first, first little bit of that. Cause I think that's important. And then we can kind of spin off into some of the other management practices or alternatives that are important. Okay. So usually we kind of focus on the mattathines when, you know, a, we, we don't have a resistant variety or resistant cultivar to use, or we just choose not to use it. And then B, when we may have, you know, multiple important plant parasitic nematodes in the field. And it's not uncommon to have southern root knot nematodes and reniform nematodes in the field at the same time. Um, and so that's when we would kind of utilize those nematicides. But uh, you mentioned Terry, and I always liked his, his other thing he would say. He said, well, Depending on the nematode population density within the nematicide, do you need a tourniquet or a Band-Aid? And, and that tourniquet was, you know, tell-on or a, a fumigant when you really need it, you really had a problem. And, and a Band-Aid or, a, you know, something that would just get you by when you didn't have a, a, a huge population of that nematode density. And, 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 and when we're talking about that low population, that's where those seed applied nematicides typically fit, or that's where we would kind of suggest that they may be useful. But, but in general, the, the idea or concept there is, you know, it's uh, the nematicides on the seed coat. So, you know, there's no handling by the farmer or, or uh, the workers. And then it's applied close to the, the developing root system. Now with root knot, it has to infect that root tip. So uh, the nematicide needs to wash off the seed coat, get into the soil profile to provide that protection because none of these nematicides actually kill or eliminate the nematode. So that's why they have to be used each year, but they slow it down or they may kill it if it comes into a high enough concentration in that soil. But I got to tell you that that Soil itself is is a challenge for any nematicide movement through, and, and you have to have some pretty good amount of water to help move that through. But that being said, it's, it's probably just providing a, a pretty small zone of protection, and once those roots grow out, they're pretty susceptible. But uh, the, the early season infection is what is probably most damaging to a cotton seedling, so even any little protection you can get, especially with that taproot, is is going to be helpful uh, to protect some of that yield potential. And, and so that's the idea of, of what you want as a chemical C 
seed applied to matricide. That's the idea of what kind of protection you're you're looking for. And for the most part, we do see some yield protection with those, but it's very, very infrequent that you see a dramatic or any really reduction in the nematode numbers. So you're, you're just protecting that root system the best you can. You're not reducing your nematode numbers by using a, a, a seed applied nematicide. If you apply it to that first 40 days type thought process for cotton, you're allowing that plant to get off to a better start with, with any of those seed applied nematicide products and just attempt to outgrow injury from those nematodes, uh, certainly in situations where, as you indicated, lower nematode numbers typically in the soil or at, at, at below threshold levels, uh, anything that's just extremely high, you really have to change your overall management strategy. And there's some additional options for that. You know, you start getting into uh, infuro treatments. And I know gone past are the days of using predominantly aldicarb, but now that we do have Aglogix aldicarb available, you could use that. The problem tends to be it's, it's super expensive and it's not necessarily as easy to come by as what aldicarb was when it was branded as Timic. Uh, and I think that's, you know, in, in case probably as a result of some states do get a lot more of that, not aware of there any production issues then. And then you factor in most farmers have gone away from, from a toolbar that actually contains granular insecticide boxes. And I think then that's where the whole thought process of using any of the liquid infro products, something like Vellum, Vellum Total, uh, and you and I have both done work on those and have shown that, that they're important. They're definitely advantageous when you're talking about managing nematodes. But I think we're still trying to figure out where the fit for those products is because it's, it's difficult to get a lot of farmers to embrace that if they have to add something on to their planter uh, or they don't necessarily have the capability with enough liquid carrying capability on that tractor throughout the field. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. It seems to be in, in our area, area the, the, the peanut farmer that's a cotton farmer or, or the cotton farmer that's now adopting peanuts because you have to add the, uh, the inoculant for that crop in peanuts. Uh, and if they use that same equipment, something like vellum, um, they can actually utilize. But uh, they're, they're certainly not as popular, uh, at least in my discussion with consultants, as, as some of the seed applied materials. And so I, I think we're, we're, you're right. We're trying to find where those fit the best. And I think pairing those up with any kind of resistance, even if it's just partial, certainly provides uh, more season-long protection than just that um, relying on that, that nematode alone or the matocyte alone, excuse me, especially with your population being uh, higher than, than what you would expect to, to get protection from uh, by that seed-applied material. So it's... It's certainly, and, and one size does not fit all, I think is, is a good way to look at that too. And all too often, it's like, I'm going to use one thing and I'm going to use it across all my farms. And uh, unfortunately, the nematode distribution is not the same through all the entire farm. So you kind of have to adjust from, from one field to the other as well from, from that management practice. Well, and the one thing that did occur to me, you, you had mentioned how they classify, say, a given variety as resistant, and that essentially is related to whether or not the nematode can reproduce on that particular variety. In my experience, in a lot of cases, 
how those may be labeled or marketed as resistant. In a lot of cases, they may not be as resistant as gaining that overall R on the actual selling sheet related to that variety. Has that been pretty much your experience too, that they more t- may tend to be more moderately resistant in a lot of cases? And I'm talking you know, mostly about cotton in that particular situation. Yeah, I, I think they've done better now uh, because I think they're a little more cautious because there's more options. And I certainly think that that was the, the case early on. I often mentioned a lot of those to be partially resistant too, because you, you can, you, you, you evaluate those in the field, you get some reproduction, you may not have the best conditions and best for me is where I really put stress on that plant. I'm, I'm trying to get the nematode to be as aggressive as possible because I want to know how it performs in that worst case scenario. And so you're right. I, and, and the other thing sometimes about, you know, some seed companies is they give you a value like a, a zero to nine and nine means it's great. And a one means it's poor. And I can't tell if that's moderately resistant or moderately susceptible. And, um, you know, they all use a little different system. So I, I think that goes back to, you know, farmers to consultants looking at us and, and uh, extension and saying, what do you guys see? Because we're putting them head to head to each other, not to say point fingers at one company or the other, but to say how they compare to each other from a, you know, tolerance yield standpoint, as well as, as resistance. And, uh, those projects are time consuming for sure. Well, and I think the struggle has been to try to get multi-gene resistance within any of those varieties. And that's, you know, if you listen to Terry Wheeler talk about it a lot from the high plains out there, when it comes to nematode management, that's usually been her comment is it's a struggle to get multi-gene resistance to multiple nematodes. And that's, again, we attempt to determine where that may fit the most. So you really have to support that information with a nematode test and soil sample to see where you have nematode problems or know where you have problems on your particular farm and then really tailor that management moving forward based on that information so that you're making a good holistic management strategy because nematodes, as, as we continue to say, are not going away and they're going to just continue to rob yield year in and year out if you're in a continuous growing system, uh, regardless of crop. Then there's always the case, too, once an individual looks at the list of cotton varieties that are out there, the best yielding one is sometimes a susceptible one, and uh, that's the one they choose. Um, and, and, and again, that kind of you know, goes back to the nematicide part. Now, now we need some kind of protection with it. But I, I think we are improving, but until those resistant varieties are those top yielders in soils that have no nematodes, um, I, I think we're going to have to continue to use some of these other tools that we have to, to manage our nematode numbers um, as a whole and not just, you know, one year I'm going to do this and it's going to, I'm going to do that same thing year in and year out. So it's uh, keeping the mindset that these are not stagnant issues and uh, they do fluctuate over time is, is, a, is a good approach. Well, and considering an integrated approach, something like a seed-applied nematicide plus a variety that might have a level of tolerance or resistance to a given nematode would be an important management strategy. That's the whole principle behind integrated pest management. <laughs> it is. It sounds so simple, but it's, it's so challenging to get to that point. And, 
And sometimes it's that information, you know, we keep bringing up Terry Kirkpatrick, but it, it, one of his favorite stories for me was uh, this, this, uh, he went out to this field with this farmer and, and the farmer, it was a cotton field. And he's like, all these nematodes were really affecting his growth. And, and, uh, Terry kind of said, did you, did you not know about this? And, you know, the farmer said, I can go out on the internet and there is a lot of information, a lot of information. But he said, the problem is, is there's not a lot of good information. And I struggle with that too at times. You, you can find a lot of things on the internet that aren't true. And I don't it's, believe it. It's a job. No, man. <laughs> you, you woke up it's the weird true, side. Right? It's all true. All true. <laughs> all true. You know, it's a struggle for those guys to go through it. And, and I think that some of these podcasts help to provide some direction and, and from guys that they would, you know, hopefully respect you and I and say, you know, okay, I, I, I at least understand that or I, that's a direction I'm going to try to go for. And I think that's our goal with some of these two to add to that education factor. So y'all mentioned resistant varieties and then we, you went through seed treatments. Tom mentioned the out of carb and, you know, very expensive, maybe not as easy to come by as it once was definitely difficult to handle difficult to apply just a lot of planters not set up for that anymore what is the situation or i guess describe a situation where that application would be justified tom is it a certain volume of nematodes returned in a nematode sample or is it a field history how do you make that decision to use a treatment that in today's world could be considered extreme I would say consider field history and back that up with a nematode sample to look at the overall numbers that are present within that soil profile and make a decision from that standpoint for treatment going forward. Either seed applied nematicide, in-furrow application of something like aldicarb or something along the lines of vellum. Uh, and then consider from there what varieties might be available because lots of farmers, I think, have seed company preference and consider that whole portfolio and make a really good informed decision. And then don't be shy about picking up the phone and calling and asking for some help to walk you through some of those, those sample results. Go through the rotations just so folks are, have that fresh in their mind. You know, which rotations help with which species of nematodes? Well, I'd, I'd refer to Travis on those. He's he's the nematologist, and I'm, I, I think he'd <laughs> give us a much better picture on some of those even than I would, especially since he've got, he's got some grain sorghum experience too. The interesting, I'll, I'll start with the grain sorghum part because I think that that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions out there is that, you know, grain sorghum is resistant. Well, let's, let's, let's put a nail in that coffin. Grain sorghum is susceptible to the southern root knot nematode, period. So um, if, if I'm going to pick an option of all the crops we grow in the Mid-South, and I've got a root knot field, the only crop out there that's a very poor host or non-host is peanut. All right. A peanut's not a fit for everybody. Uh, we could have a whole other podcast on why that is or is not. But peanut is, is a non-host. So th those numbers do drop. And, and we do see in Arkansas where some of the cotton farmers rotate with peanut and they're seeing a 200-pound lint benefit to their subsequent cotton crop. But everything else is susceptible. Uh, corn is susceptible and, and, and grain sorghum is too. 
Now, there's varying degrees of susceptibility or host suitability. So one grain sorghum hybrid maybe supports a, a lower population than another. And, and that information, a, a couple of years ago, I could have told you which one, but I think since then that company is no longer in existence. So I, I can't tell you which one to use anymore. And that's, that's sometimes the challenge with the, the rotational cross. But everything else is susceptible. Now, switching gears then to reniform, um, those grass crops like corn and grain sorghum are good options. Those numbers will drop, but they don't drop dramatically. So for, you know, um, in root knot, those numbers tend to move pretty quickly. Reniform tend to be a little slower for they to, to drop off. Reniform just has a, an excellent metabolism that uh, allows it to just survive for long periods with, without a host. So uh, it'll take a few years, especially if you've got a severe problem of uh, needing that non-host. So those, that's it. You know, we, we really don't have many options. And so that's why we end up relying, too, on, on that host plant resistance uh, is, is the main focus because those two species have such a wide host range. But um, I don't know how many times we can cover those two, but uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about the, the, the grass crops. And so it's important to point out which one they're uh, poor host to. At least in, in the, the root knot world from, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about cotton resistance, but if you talk about soybean, there's even less there. You know, Tom mentioned something about some of the, the variability within the susceptibility. We, we see the same thing within the soybeans. And one of the frustrating things with some soybeans is that it'll say it's nematode resistance. Well, which nematode? <laughs> you know, there's three that are important there. There's two important on cotton. So it's, it's, it's important to be specific. And I think that's why Tom and a lot of times try to spend detail on root knot or reniform to make sure that that point's clear. But uh, in the maturity group fours, we, we definitely see a, um, a handful of options for resistance to the root knot nematode. It's gotten better. Um, I hear of a lot of companies saying that they're starting to think about that as an item line resistance, uh, uh, you know, in their program. They're trying to keep it at the forefront, which I'm glad to hear because moving forward with beans in the Mid-South, uh, uh, we're going to need it. Travis, we really appreciate the time that you've taken today to talk about this because I, I almost some days can't think of a more important topic than nematodes because we both know they're, they're doing nothing but increasing in distribution. And I think awareness on some of these topics is going to be increasingly important moving forward, especially when you talk about uh, commodity prices and just inputs for 2022. So thank you so much for your, for your time. And also I, I did want to ask real quickly, where can people access some of the information that you put out in, at, at the University of Arkansas? Okay, so we, we do have some of the, the information on our varieties on the University of Arkansas um, Extensions website. Uh, sometimes that's a little challenging. The, the other is to follow me on Twitter, at Travis Bosky, and uh, a lot of the information we have uh, we'll post on there, too. So that's, uh, those, are, those are two starting points. Um, and or emailing me and I can help uh, direct folks uh, through that as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Travis. Really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed it. 
The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.